You're listening to A Sure Hope with Pastor Dave Shank of Calvary Chapel, Cape May in Cape May, New Jersey. Join us as Pastor Dave teaches verse by verse through God's Word. God sent fire down to heaven. He saw God deliver all the prophets of Baal into his hand. He heard the entire kingdom of Israel shouting praises to God. He heard the entire kingdom as they turned back to God. So you would think he would be shouting and cheering and knowing that God can do a mighty work. No. No, he turned tail and ran. He didn't just run. He says he ran for his life. (laughs) He bolted. He got out of here. Elijah full of obedience and faith, went where God directed, spoke what God dictated, and was part of some incredible miracles. Yet after a great victory, Elijah fled in fear the moment adversity hit. Today, Pastor Dave will challenge you to stand firm in the Lord, trust Him, and remain confident that He'll continue to work. Now, here's Pastor Dave in the book of 1 Kings chapter 18, as he begins his message, Elijah the Caveman. Bibles and open them to 1 Kings 19. Exciting time as we're, we're getting close to the end of 1 Kings. We're going to see our buddy Elijah and what he's up to. Let's bow our hearts before our Lord in prayer. Heavenly Father, thank you. Bless this time we spend in your word, Lord, as we look to your word for guidance, for leadership, for all the things that your word is sent to do. Lord, open up our hearts, Lord, and have your way in our hearts as we study your word and bring to remembrance those things which you would have us to do, to know, and to act upon, Lord. Help us, Lord, to apply your word to our lives. Lord, we're so grateful for it, and we thank you for this time through your spirit, in Jesus' name, amen. So, since Elijah has come on the scene, he's been obedient to the voice of the Lord. After he prophesied that there would be no rain, the Lord told him to leave and go to the brook Sharif. Elijah obeyed and he went. Sharif was a place of rest and a place of safety. But according to its name, it was a place of cutting and separation. That's what Sharif means, cutting and separation. God cut Elijah out of the picture after he prophesied it wouldn't rain. He did that for his own safety because once it got out that he was the cause of it not raining, so they thought, he would be in danger. But he also cut him out for refinement, for for molding, for, for rest, and for getting him ready for what was yet to come. So God separated Elijah from the king and the people. He led him to a place of cutting so he could mold him and prepare him for what was yet to come. After several years, when the brook ran dry, God led Elijah to a town called Zarephath. 
And the meaning of Zarephath is a place of refinement. So God was going to further refine Elijah. Its literal meaning, get this, its literal meaning of Zarephath, a blast furnace, a workshop for melting and refining metals. That's what the name means in Hebrew. So God was going to use this place to further refine Elijah, to further trust, get Elijah to trust in him, and he was going to provide for all his needs, just as he did in the brook Cherith. Remember, in the brook Cherith, he had ravens bring him water, or actually bring him food day and night. He had all the water he needed from the brook so he could drink. So God would refine Elijah now at Zarephath. He would remove any dross in Elijah's life. After this, we know that God sent Elijah to Mount Carmel, which is a place of victory, a place of confrontation. God was cleaning up the vineyard because Mount Carmel, Carmel means plantation or vineyard. It means a garden. Remember, we studied that last week. He wanted to make his garden, Israel, pure. He wanted to get all the weeds out of it, the weeds being the prophets of Baal. They were weeds growing in his vineyard, and he wanted to clean his vineyard up. So he had Elijah do this wonderful confrontation with the prophets of Baal. And we studied that at length last week. And it's an exciting thing to see where they had to choose the bull, and then they chopped up the bull. They made the altar. They, they sat around the altar, and they cried out to the Lord, or actually to Baal. They cried out to their God, Baal, day and night, and nothing happened. And, of course, Elijah sat there, and he bit his tongue the entire time, his cheek, and then finally said, is he asleep? <laughs> Does he hear you? Is, is there a problem with your God? And you know the story how Elijah then told him, rebuilt the altar that was there, put the bull upon it, and then he said, get water and douse the bull. And they did that three times. They dig a trench around and fill it with water. He did everything he could to minimize the chance of that setting fire to it. And then he prayed and called down fire from heaven. And the fire came down and consumed not only the bull, consumed the altar and licked the water out of the troughs. It was gone. What happened after that? All of Israel praised God. All of Israel fell to their knees and they gave glory to God, which was what everyone intended it to be. Then he went out and he took the prophets of Baal and he killed them, slayed them, slaughtered them. But up to this point, Elijah had obeyed the Lord to the letter. But as we ended chapter 18, we saw something extremely interesting. In the last verses of chapter 18, Elijah is running ahead of Ahab's chariot. All of a sudden, he becomes Superman and has these super legs, and he's running ahead of Ahab's chariot to get to Jezreel. Now, the Lord didn't tell him to do that. We have to be careful when we get ahead of the Lord and when we do the Lord. But I reread the chapter. Look at verse 46, if you will, in chapter 18. Then the hand of the Lord came upon Elijah. And he girded up his loins and ran ahead of the Ahab to the entrance of Jezreel. One of the reasons Elijah could run in front of Ahab's chariot was the Lord gave him strength. The Lord gave him strength to do that. It was a 15-mile run. 
Do you know how fast a chariot can go? You know how fast a chariot can go being drawn by horses? They can move pretty fast. And Elijah outran them. It must have been some sight. He was able to run 15 miles. The king Ahab had seen what had happened on Mount Carmel. And it appears that he realized that Elijah was truly sent by the one true God. And all the people turned back to God. And all the false prophets were dead. But there was still one enemy left. And Elijah would have to deal with her. One enemy was left. It was Ahab's wife, Jezebel. Remember, she did not go to Carmel. She stayed home. She didn't go. But she would soon find out the results of the challenge. And that's where we begin in chapter 19. Let's look at verse 1. And Ahab told Jezebel all that Elijah had done and how he had executed all the prophets with the sword. So the king returns to Jezreel, which is where Jezebel lived, and he goes in and he tells her. He couldn't wait to get home to tell her what had happened. How do you think she reacted? Was she happy when she heard that all her friends, her dear friends, which were the prophets of Baal, were killed? Which her beloved Baal now proved to be a fake god? Because the one true living God outlasted him and out fired him, put the, put the fire on the, on the, on the, on the uh, sacrifice? How'd she feel? Well, let's look in verse 2. Then Jezebel sent a messenger to Elijah saying, So let the gods do to me, and more also, if I do not make your life as a life of one of them by tomorrow this time. One of them. She's talking about the prophets of Baal that he killed. So she's saying, now notice that it says, So let the gods, small g. She's still banking on Baal and all his gods, on all the gods that surround him. And she says, listen, buddy, I'm going to get you. I'm going to take you out. You killed all my guys. You killed my prophets. You disgraced and and shamed my God. And now I'm going to take you out because of that. What surprises me here is how Elijah reacts to her threats. This surprises me. I've read this story many times, and I usually read through the chapter five, six, seven times before you know, I put anything on paper or put anything down. And every time I read it, it surprises me the way Elijah reacts. It surprises me. Why? The Brook Sharif, Zarephath, Mount Carmel. It surprises me. Let's read verses, verse 3. And when he saw that, he arose and ran for his life. Come on, guy. And went to Beersheba, which belongs to Judah, and left his servant there. Come on. I'm going to run away. He runs away. He had seen with his own eyes God sent fire down to heaven. He saw God deliver all the prophets of Baal into his hand. He heard the entire kingdom of Israel shouting praises to God. He heard the entire kingdom as they turned back to God. So you would think he would be shouting and cheering and knowing that God can do a mighty work. No. No, he turned tailed and ran. He didn't just run. He says he ran for his life. (laughs) He bolted. He got out of here. You would think that he would just stand strong and come against Jezebel in the name of his Lord, his God, Jehovah. But that didn't happen. It didn't happen at all. 
He became afraid. He ran away. He ran away, and it says he went to Beersheba. Beersheba is about 100 miles south. It's about 100 miles south of where they were. He fled out of fear, not because God had told him. Remember, the first time Elijah went to hide and he announced to Ahab the drought was coming, God told him to go hide. The second time he moved, God told him to go to Zarephath. The second time, the third time, God told him to go to Mount Carmel. And here he's running away. God never told him to run away. Can you imagine what an amazing thing God would have done if he had stood and faced Jezebel? What an amazing thing God could have done. Picture us now in your time with the Lord. And I know that each and every one of you in here has seen the Lord's glory at one point or another in your life. You have seen massive wonder things, wonderful things in your life. You've seen healings. You've seen relationships restored. You've seen all kinds of things. And when the bad time comes, you bolt, you run away. Because tough times have hit. Imagine what God could do if you would stand in faith. If you would stand in faith and face what's coming your way. Not minimizing the pain or problem that it might cause. Not minimizing that. But do you imagine the glory that would be shown for God of you standing strong in the face of adversity? Isn't that what the Apostle Paul preaches? Isn't that what the Apostle Paul constantly preaches, is standing strong in the face of adversity? Standing strong? Everybody's going to have to suffer one way or the other. There's suffering, folks. We can't get around to it. It's called life. And there is suffering. But we need to take it head on, knowing that God is still in control. God is still on the throne. And we need to take that. We need to find out. We can only imagine. If only Elijah would have listened to the Lord. But he did not. Before we come down real hard on Elijah, before we beat him up with a stick or something like that, remember what James said about Elijah. He was a man of like passions, meaning, number one, he was just a man. And number two, he was like us. Like passions, he was like us. We can't come down too hard on him. How many of you have prayed to the Lord, oh Lord, help my unbelief? I'm not believing in you right now. Help my unbelief, Lord. I think the message here is to prepare ourselves. After victories, things happen. After great victories, things happen. How quickly we can move from the mountaintop to the valley. How quickly we can move from the mountaintop to the testing. We need to continue to humble ourselves before our Lord and stay close to him, ever close as we possibly can, as he prepares us for the trials and the testing that always come after a victory. There is always trials and testing after a victory, always. For three years, Elijah had not made one move without hearing and obeying the Lord's instruction. He didn't go anywhere unless the Lord told him to. But now he's running ahead of the Lord in order to save his life. Listen to what I read. Quote, when a servant of God gets out of the will of God, we will do all sorts of foolish things and usually fail in our own strength. Unquote. When you move out of the will of God and start doing things on your own, failure is not far away. I can prove that. Great men of faith in the Bible. 
Look at the Bible. Abraham has a great victory. He goes to Egypt and fails. God never told him to go to Egypt. We all know about David. How about Moses? Peter. Our man Peter. Elijah was a strong man. He was a man who was fixed on God's word, who heard God's word, and who acted on God's word. But when Jezebel threatened him, his knees buckled. And he went down. The safest place for a child of God is to hang out in a place dictated by the will of God. It's the safest place for a child of God to be. In a place where God wants you to be. But sadly, like so many of us, Elijah did not stop to seek the will of God. He reacted in the flesh and not the spirit. And the results are not so good. So the great and awesome Elijah is derailed by a woman. And not only was he derailed, but he was afraid of her. And he ran away. He ran away. Look at verse 4. But he himself went a day's journey into the wilderness and came and sat down under a broom tree. And he prayed that he might die and said, it is enough. Now, Lord, take my life, for I am no better than my father's. A broom tree is basically a juniper tree. A broom tree is a juniper tree. Actually, it really means a flowering shrub. That's what this broom tree means. As Elias sat there, he finally does something wise, but in the wrong way. He did pray, but what he prayed for is not really what he should have prayed for. He asked the Lord to take his life. I'm no better than my father's. The Lord never asked him to be better than the father's. The Lord never asked us to be better than anyone else. I can't be better than you, nor you can be better than me in our own eyes. I'm not supposed to live up to you, and you're not supposed to live up to me. We can't be better in each eyes. Never ask us to be better than anyone else. All the Lord wanted from Elijah, all the Lord wants from us is to hear his word and obey. That's all he's asking for us to do. Quite hard at times, though, isn't it? Quite difficult at times to hear the word of God and obey it. One commentator said this, quote, the combination of emotional burnout, weariness, hunger, and a deep sense of failure, coupled with a lack of faith, brought Elijah into a deep depression. Well, I guess so. But I also see some pride in this. I see some pride creeping into this. Elijah thought that the ministry on Mount Carmel would bring all of Israel to his knees, and it did. But he also thought he would get the better of Ahab and Jezebel. He thought he would bring them to their knees also, which it did not. They did not repent. They did not turn from serving Baal. This could have led him into what is known as self-pity. And he considered himself a failure. Self-pity. Ah, uh, I'm no better than my father's. Ah, uh, woe is me. I'm going to go out back and eat worms. Oh, it's terrible. But what I really love about this is we get a picture of God we get a great picture of God in verses 5 through 8 because while Elijah is running away, while Elijah is running and turn-tailed and running for his life, afraid of a woman, why he's doing that, God continues to provide for him. God continues to provide for him, even in his failure. Snap out of it, Christian. 
God will continue to lead you and guide you even in your failures. Because he wants you to come back to him. He wants you to come out of your failures and turn back to him. He wants you to listen to him, which we're going to get to in a couple minutes. Let's look at verses 5 through 8. Then, as he lay and slept under a broom tree, suddenly an angel touched him and said to him, Arise and eat. And then he looked, and there by his head was a cake baked on coals and a jar of water. So he ate and drank and lay down again. And then... The angel of the Lord came back the second time and touched him and said, Arise and eat, because the journey is too great for you. So he arose and ate and drank, and he went in the strength of that food 40 days and 40 nights as far as Horeb, the mountain of God. So he's under this tree resting, which he needs rest. He just ran like crazy, traveled over 100 miles to get from Jezreel to Beersheba, He needs his strength. He's napping. And an angel comes and taps him on the shoulder and says, here, take some, eat. God provides for him miraculously. I just love this. Now, in verse 6, the Hebrew word translated for angel is messenger. It's a messenger who comes to him. However, in verse 7, there's a change. What's the change? What's the change? There's a name there. Angel of the Lord. Angel of the Lord. And in the Old Testament, when you see angel of the Lord, it's a theophany. It's an epiphany. It's a revelation of the Son of God, Jesus Christ. And that's what it means. And that's what is accepted by everyone to mean that. Our Savior visited Elijah. Our Savior visited Elijah. He needed strength for what's ahead of him because he was going to now travel 250 miles more to Mount Horeb. What's the other name for Mount Horeb? Where did Moses get the Ten Commandments? On Mount Sinai. Sinai and Horeb, same. Sinai and Horeb are the same. So he is going to go to the mountain where Moses received the commandments of God. He is going to go to the mountain. Some think that Elijah wanted to imitate Moses, who spent 40 days on Mount Sinai getting the tablets. Remember, he goes up there and he spends 40 days communing with God and getting the tablets. Some think, but when he arrives, what does he do? (laughs) He goes into a cave. He finds another cave to hide into. Let's look through 9 through 14. And there he went into a cave and spent the night in the place. And behold, the word of the Lord came to him and said to him, What are you doing, Elijah? (laughs) So he said, I've been very zealous for the Lord of hosts, for the children of Israel have forsaken your covenant, tore down your altars, and killed your prophets in the sword. I'm alone, I am left, and they seek to take my life.
Our time with you is coming to an end today on A Sure Hope. On our next edition, Pastor Dave Shank will continue this journey through the book of 1 Kings. But for now, you can listen to more teachings from this series online at assurehoperadio.com. We encourage you to download these messages so that they're available wherever you go. You can also subscribe to our podcast on iTunes. Just search for A Sure Hope and see the latest editions as soon as they're posted. If you're enjoying these teachings and would like to get more involved with the church behind this ministry, we'd love to meet you at Calvary Chapel, Cape May for a time of worship and Bible study. We meet weekly on Sundays at 8.30 and 10.30 a.m. Give us a call for more information. Our number is 609-884-5821. Again, that's 609-884-5821. Otherwise, you can visit assurehoperadio.com for times and directions. And if you're not able to join us in person, we're streaming our services on Facebook Live and on YouTube. Just look for the link on our website at assurehoperadio.com. Thanks for listening to today's message in the book of 1 Kings. We pray you continue to be blessed as you study the Word and that you discover how God's doing great things in your life. We look forward to you joining us again as Pastor Dave has more to share from 1 Kings. But until then, we encourage you to read through the Bible on your own and tune in next time on A Sure Hope.